This year, the Wellness Summit returns. 95% of the people you know out there want you to play it safe. They don't want you to jump over fire. You can get burned. They don't want you to live the life that you were born to live. You've got to remember that if you're cooking food, you want to love it. You don't want to be thinking, oh, I don't want to have to prepare another meal for my husband who doesn't appreciate it. I don't have to prepare another meal for my wife who just doesn't care. She just wants peanut butter on toast. Wake the heck up. You are where you're at right here, right now, because of all the choices you have made up to this point. Now, I didn't know what to do with being blown up. I didn't know what to do with that until the psychologist told me, you're going to have post-traumatic stress disorder, Karen. I went, okay, great. Now, at least I know what to do with that. Get ready, Melbourne. The summit is back. Well, other people are just walking through fire. I mean, look, look, look at it. And I'm on the phone going, yeah, and he's like, I mean, look, like this. And then he's lifted up his top and he's squeezing that, and I'm going, yeah, I can't even. We're doing masking. There's something there that you want that you haven't been doing for yourself. Zazen Alkaline Water presents the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. All info and tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Welcome to A Quirky Journey. This is your host, Fuad Kassab, and with me is Joe Witten, my dear friend. How's it going, Jojo? It's going good. Fufu's back! <laughs> back from a very distant place. A place outside of time and space, Joe, but I'm back. Wow, that's, that, that rhymed. Yeah? Well ah, place, space. Yeah, such a poet. I will take five minutes and write a poem and come back and finish the podcast then. Awesome. It, it seems like the muse is here. Well, okay. Actually, let's do it later. Okay. Um, <laughs> Are you going to tell back. us anything about your trip away? Um, Everyone wants to know a little bit about it. Okay. All right. So I really have, um, I haven't prepared what I'm going to say, but for those of you who, didn't know where I was going or didn't really care or, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But if you'd like to know, um, I went on a, a nine-day journey um, on something called a vision quest, which is a wilderness fast. This is a um, very strange thing to do for most people. Every, you know, every people... Every person that I meet will have a different reaction when I tell them that I'm going to fast in the wilderness for four days and four nights. I will not leave a three-meter circle for those four days and four nights, and I won't have any contact with people. I won't be able to speak to anyone except myself, which I did. Um, and um, I'm going to be eating nothing, and I'll just be having water for four days and four nights and have very basic shelter, which is basically a tarp that goes under and over me. And uh, everyone I tell, told them that I was going to do this thought that I was crazy. <laughs> um, a lot of them thought it was crazy but cool and they wanted to do it themselves. And some people just thought it was the worst idea ever. <laughs> thought it was a, a great idea. And it's, it's a really interesting thing 
for me to do because like I felt I wanted to do it. And it seems that that is the case with uh, these things, with these experiences is a person would either feel really drawn and called to do it or you would. And um, this is, it's, it's been an incredible experience for me. Just absolutely incredible. I'm still processing all the stuff that went on, which you'd think that there won't be much, that you're actually just sitting for four days and four nights staring into nothing, which was, there was a lot of that too. Um, but for some reason, that turns out to be quite a beneficial thing. And mm. I won't go into the, the details of, you know, what went on, but I'll, I'll just give the highlights in that there was a lot of time that I spent just thinking about stupid things, just (laughs) completely like, you know, I I just saw how my mind often spends a lot of energy on things that are completely useless. And um, that was really helpful to, to see how much energy these things take. So now I can recognize when my mind's going in circles about things that I can't change or things that I, uh, aren't here or probably will never actually happen and um, just allow myself to redirect my thoughts to just, you know, doing what is needed and what is here in the moment requiring me to do something rather than project too much into the future or think too much about the past. Um, and that's something that takes practice. So I guess you had a lot of practice in the four days yeah well you get no option see like yeah. that's that's the thing about it is, mm-hmm. um, is they call it a fast from all things familiar and and in the days before that i spent some time um you know camping on my own and i did something called the death lodge which sounds scary and it is actually it's probably the most emotional part of the experience and before i actually did the wilderness fast and joined the group i went to uh, a place called Red Rock, which is a camping area. And I camped there and I um, imagined that uh, I was going to die on the quest and I started writing letters to people that I felt I wanted to say something to before I died. And um, it was a very emotional experience for me. I, I spent a lot of time writing and crying and writing and crying Mm. Um, and it was really beautiful because it was sort of like saying goodbye to the world and uh, what was great is I I really felt um, okay about it I didn't feel like I I had any major things to deal with before I'd go Uh, I felt um, that I'd lived a good life and that I have created uh, you know some positive impact in the world and I haven't harmed anyone in a way that makes me feel like leaving here would be, um, you know, leaving something unresolved in that sense. But there was a big sense of, hey, I'm going to miss this life. It, I would, it would have been great to uh, accompany my daughters and my wife for the, you know, the next <laughs> 40 years and see them grow up and um, have yeah. their own families and that kind of stuff. So that was very, very emotional. Yeah, would have been. Um, and it's funny, like when you tell yourself you're going to die, somehow you be, you can believe it. And then sure. all of a sudden you, you, you're just like in that space where you're like, oh, this is, this is what's going to happen. And it just was very uh, <sighs> cathartic. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of prepared me to go into the quest circle with uh, like a clear conscience and like nothing, like not feeling that there's something I need to do. Mm. 
Um, and that's the whole point, is that you go into that space and supposedly you go through your experience and you come out the other end. And no one can really get you ready for what takes place inside a quest circle because uh, it's your own personal experience. No one has your experience. No one, ha- no one shares the same experience as the other person's. Um, that's the beauty of the uniqueness of the human being is that everyone goes through their own thing. And I went through a lot of stuff. Uh, you can call it spiritual experiences. Um, you can give it whatever name you want. But like for me, it was just a really beautiful time where after the initial uh, mind um, attacks, you know, all the mind is just saying all these different things like, why are you here? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. And and then, you know, going through all, through all its uh, self-pity or fear or um, boredom. Boredom was a big deal. Mm. After, um, at some point, like my mind went really, really quiet and still and became very, very peaceful. And I was just very happy to just be present there in the wilderness, which just felt like home, felt so beautifully like home. Um, I miss it so much to this day. Like I really miss Mm. that environment now. And um, it was, yeah, a lot of time to process things that went on inside me. But um, afterwards, after I finished, the quest on the morning of the return, like I left at first light, which is when you can see in front of your feet, basically when the the sun hasn't risen yet, but it's sort of uh, coming up. Um, and you can start seeing some, um, you know, some of the path in front of you. So I, I packed my bag and I've been awake for maybe five or six hours. Um, wow. So, yeah. Like, you don't know, like you lose track of time. Yeah. You don't have any, you don't have anything to tell you about anything really. Like you, everything that um, you use to identify yourself or identify time or whatever it is, that all that goes away and your body is going through this small death experience where it's Mm. starved of food and starved of um, people and communication, all that kind of stuff. Um, It's, it was time for me to go. So as I went back, it was a um, really wonderful thing to know that I was heading back to meet other people. And when I got to the site where the people who are organizing this event were, who were absolutely amazing, by the way, just the <laughs> incredible a bunch of people, um, they were waiting by the fire. They had a big pot of soup ready for all of us who were there to come back. And um, they they were just so happy to see us. They've been uh, up for four days and four nights looking after us from a distance, basically making sure that um, if anything went wrong, they would be tuned into it. They, you know, they want, like, we could cooey if anything went wrong. So they always had someone awake, waiting, um, keeping, um, you know, making sure everything is fine with all the questers. So for them, it was a highlight. Uh, of the of the time which is the time of our return and they were so happy to see us and they like gave me a hug and the second like I touched another human being I, I started crying it was mm. so so beautiful yeah and um, you were so starved of touch probably yeah absolutely and, and then I sat by the fire and uh, that as well just having warmth from a fire was this incredibly powerful experience and just mm. 
Um, and we just sat in silence and they gave me coconut water to drink and some soup to, you know, rehydrate and electrolyze and all that kind of stuff. And mm. just the second I started eating, I felt this like energy come back to my body. And I really felt the true impact of food. And I felt like it was a gift to me to be mm. able to eat. I was so appreciative. And it really felt like uh, a true exchange of life force in this physical form to eat something. It wasn't just food; it was life that I was. That if I didn't, that my life force was being depleted slowly, and now it was coming back to me. Mm. So I had this beautiful um, experience of just really understanding what is important for me as a human being, and it's, uh, as a human being, being. I'm a, a social being, so uh, I need other people around me, um, and I need food, and I need warmth and safety. And beyond that, you know, it's all kind of just added bonus. But at the bare bones of our needs, it's just these things are, are all we need to be happy. And I was so happy. I was just so mm. happy with everyone. And it just made me realize how life could be a pursuit of unnecessary things yeah Yeah. and um that in itself was a was not just like a a realization that you can i can talk to you about it or someone can tell me about it and i can sort of resonate with what they're saying but because i've been on my own for all this time the impact of this realization was huge yeah so that was a life-changing experience for me as well and um since then, what I've noticed is I've been able to look at my behaviors in a different way. So, um, you know, we've been running on all these programs uh, throughout our life. Think the behaviors that we do out of habit. And mm-hmm. if you think of them, like imagine you're an operating system and you have like, you know, you're the iPhone and you've got Uber on and Facebook on and Instagram <laughs> on and all these things and they're all running inside you. And this is you know, what happens in us. So we have a, a program that does us, this is how I behave in this circumstance, this is how I behave in this circumstance, this is how I behave in this circumstance. And these are just ways that, that you behave that could be very different to how someone else would behave. So they're individual to you. And these programs may or may not actually be good for you. So the way that mm-hmm. you are may may not be benefiting from these programs because they're so ingrained in you that they've been in you for so long that they are now part of your subconscious. It's almost a reflexive behavior to actually behave in these ways. But I found that um, now the way I can think about it is, or explain it to people, is I felt that it was a system reboot, that I actually turned off the computer, turned it back on, and now the antivirus is running. And every time a new program, well, an old program is trying to run, but it's not actually beneficial to me, I have a real ability to notice it taking place and to choose whether this is a behavior I want to continue with or not. And um, that extends of course to the way i relate to people most importantly so when i am in conversation with a human being it's changed the way that i do it because uh, i've really learned how to listen more closely now than i have ever before um and it also allowed me to examine my examine my inner world while someone else is talking so i can 
or when an event takes place, so I, I don't react automatically to the stimulus. So I can actually react from a deeper, more connected place rather than a place that is automatic. Yeah. So we all know this about ourselves. Like some, you get into a situation and then you do something. You go, why did I do that? That wasn't the best way to deal with this thing. Um, but it's, it was just an automatic mm-hmm. behavior. And this is what the quest has given me as a gift. And um, for now, I feel like I'm connected to my stimuli more with more clarity. In the same way, when I eat a food now, if it, I can tell whether it's good for me or not. Like before, I could yeah. something I would say, uh, I, I didn't have the signal for my body telling me, hey, this, this is not actually healthy food for you. That signal has been reestablished. It's in the same way around my behaviors as well. Wow. So I can go, ah, oh, yes, this is, you know, you still, you see yourself doing these things, which could be annoying or uh, not very healthy for you you're more aware but you're more aware and then through that awareness comes the ability to change so you know we are conscious of our behaviors that the unconscious Mm -hmm. behavior we can change them and that's that's been an incredible experience for Mm -hmm. me and and they say you know this is sort of like what the whole purpose of uh, of these uh, quests are is they're they're designed as rites of passage uh, for adulthood so young men would be sent out on the quest to do this so that this the they can face these behaviors in them and Mm. not carry them through to adulthood to allow them to actually transcend them and change them so that they could be in a, a place that is harmonious with their tribe and um and also the realization of how little you matter when there's no people around in terms mm. of your human experience there's a spiritual side of your experience which is you know beautiful and divine and uh, expansive and peaceful and just absolutely joyful um, mm. as you encounter your soul but there's also the um, the other aspect of the human experience, which is we are people who re- relate and interact. And really, this life is about service. It's about the, mm-hmm. the being of value to the world and uh, finding your purpose in order to harmonize with the world, not to, to make yourself special, but just to be not special mm-hmm. at all, actually, and just do what your heart tells you to do in the service of others. And that's what, what created harmony in those tribes is that men would come back from uh, these quests cleaned out of the old behaviors and also with a deep realization of um, what matters to them, which is the harmony of their tribe and a deep appreciation to nature as well and our place in it because you spend all this time in nature. And... Um, yeah, so, and this is just maybe 1% of mm. my, my experience. And, and there's a lot of it that I can't even rationalize or understand. Or articulate, or probably. Articulate. Yeah. Mm. So that's, uh, that's really it. Um, the, the company is called Soulscapes, S-O-U-L-S-C-A-P-E-S. I think it's soulscapes.com.au. Let me check. Okay. Um, and just incredible, incredible people. 
um, they they were so respectful. They um, they have um, like and like anyone, they have their own beliefs and their own views of life. But they uh, it wasn't done in a particularly um, it wasn't based around their belief system. Basically, like it wasn't the, their spiritual beliefs or religion or whatever it is did not come into play. Mm. for them to facilitate this for us. Yeah. They, they facilitated it in a, in a completely neutral way for, for us. And they were just talking about what a human being experiences in these things, but, not from a, but they weren't trying to intrude on you with their own view. Yeah, that's good. So that was really wonderful. And, yeah. Oh, and, I, and we did a sweat lodge, which is an American Indian uh, <laughs> um, kind of experience it's like you go into this beautiful beautifully built uh thing which is like sits on you know on top it's like a it's like a sauna i guess but with hot stones that they bring in from a massive fire outside and you sit sit out and sit in there for like an hour or so and you sweat and you you can say prayers like whatever everyone said a prayer to what they what you know what they wanted what was in their heart and what they prayed for, you know, healing or uh, peace or love or whatever it is that they wanted to pray for in their life. And, uh, mm-hmm. and the space just uh, allowed, allowed it all. It, and like they, it was all allowed and it was all beautiful and everyone was so respectful. Uh, mm. it, it was a very rare thing to experience where you're in the company of, of people who are truly going through an ordeal in order to become uh, better people and they're doing mm-hmm. it willingly and um, and everyone is respecting the commitment that the other person has and understands that they all come from their own journey and everyone's on their own journey and they're fully allowed uh, to have that. No, no one's trying to change anyone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that created a feeling of harmony and solidarity even though we were the most different people. Mm. Every every person was so different from the second person. It was in, incredibly um, beautiful to see how human beings from such a diverse group of people could be so harmonious together and so respectful. Yeah. Amazing. Was, yeah. Sounds beautiful. It really was. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that because, yeah, that's just given a really good um idea of what went on even though like you say it's one percent it just wow it's beautiful yeah, yeah. so there we go mm. um. so glad that you're back though yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and and more um on track than ever you know like it's given you even more um i guess vision for your purpose in life and for work and for yeah. And it's been great. Yeah, yeah. it's um, it's taken a lot of um, like pressure off me in the sense mm-hmm. that I um, I just I'm just really happy. Mm. Simplified things. Yeah. Yeah. So like I'm like everything I'm doing I'm happy with. Like I don't I'm not being critical of myself. I'm just feeling like yeah, like I have good intentions and I'm. Just mm-hmm. um, there's no need to change anything. Like even though the work that you and I do is focused around um, 
educating people so that they can move away from an industrialized uh, way of living, you know, like this mm-hmm. highly refined diets into eating whole foods. I don't even have resentment for the system that we are in. I don't feel like, you know, angry at the world or anything like that. Which no. I, yeah, I, I used to experience that every once in a while. I used to be like really... Yeah, I remember years ago, you were more like that, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. But this is the world we're in, and yep. we just do our best to um, heal it. So, I mean, yeah, just working on where we are. Yeah, yeah, and it begins with healing ourselves as well. Yep, sure does. Mm, beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, Thanks for good. you know bearing for you know those couple of weeks that I was away and. Uh, <laughs> to do anything it's all right we had some we had a couple of beautiful podcasts with mary and becky um so i really enjoyed those that was great good i'll I'll go away more often then no (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we missed you yeah i I missed this yeah and it's so good to be back so yeah yeah good So we've been away for a week traveling, doing seminars in Far North Queensland. Shall we talk about that a little bit? Yes. Just just quickly because I know um, those of you who weren't there might be like, ho-hum. But honestly, if you haven't been to one of our seminars and you get the chance to come, please do because it's just such a beautiful um, time to come together and talk about what's important with whole foods and with you know, with eating well and getting back to the way that we should be eating as a society and what a difference it's made in our lives and also in so many lives of people that come to the seminars and share their stories. We had a couple of people share their stories at the um, Townsville seminar, didn't we? And um, it was just so beautiful to see. um, I was nearly in tears because I got there to the Townsville seminar and a lady came rushing up to me and gave me a big hug and she's been in the gut health program group for a few years and um, I've been helping her like probably three years ago we met um, and she was going through a really tough time with her daughter um, who was suffering from major depression and had to be taken out of high school and um, she started homeschooling her and she started doing gaps with her and three years down the track, um, you know, she came to this seminar in Townsville and I gave, yeah, well, I gave her a big hug and I said, but where's your daughter? And she said, right there. And her daughter stood up and she just like was sparkling. She was so happy. And I just gave her a big hug and I was like, oh my goodness, it's so good to see you looking so well. And she said, I just got a job today. Um, I've just gotten my license. I got a car. I'm so well. And it was just the best, you know, it just gave me goosebumps to see the changes in three years. Oh my goodness this girl was having such a tough time and now she's gone through it and she's come out the other side and food has been such a big part to you know had such a big part to play in this obviously there's a lot of other factors just like they were with Isaac but it was just so encouraging so that kind of thing just makes us so happy so um if you if you have a wonderful story to share please share it with us we would love to hear your stories we get emails and messages and we just love hearing from you guys Mm -hmm. and if you can get to a seminar please do So our next one is in Newcastle uh, on the 14th of May. That one is going to be huge. (laughs) 
got 388 people already signed up. So <laughs> that's the biggest event that we've ever done ever, isn't it? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Thank you, Newcastle. You guys are yeah. awesome. <laughs> so we have a few spots left because we can get up to 400 in that venue or something like that. And we've got um, caterers and it's all, all going to go good. So if you want to come, you've still got time. Um, so book in pretty quick though because I think you said yesterday you checked numbers and they were 318 and then this morning they were 386. So it's filling up quickly. 389 now. 389. I just checked while you were talking. Awesome. So, so yeah, there's a few spots left. So book in quick if you want to come to that one. Um, you can go to the events page on the blog to find out the details for that. Um, and we'll also be at the Mind Forum this coming weekend. So that's in Sydney. Um, if you have never heard of the Mind Forum, it's a, um, it's a weekend dedicated to educating parents and practitioners um, in all sorts of um, natural therapies and treatments and uh, just going through all sorts of things that can help uh, mostly kids with chronic illnesses um, and, you know, working with kids with autism and ADD and all sorts of things. Um, and we go and speak. Um, this time Isaac and I are speaking about healing foods for teenagers and we're doing some cooking demonstrations, but there's just so many amazing speakers from all over the world. So if you can't get there, you can um, join in via live streaming. So we'll put the um, link in the show notes so that if you want to have a look at that, you can, you can do that, but it's definitely worth the money. It's such an amazing weekend. There's so much information. Absolutely. Mm. So, um, so much going on, but then mm. June, nothing, nothing. We're going to have a, well, not having a break. We'll just be working from home. <laughs> having, taking a breath, really. Taking a breath. 2018 and has been a huge year, so. Yeah, already. So we've got, a, we've got half time in June. <laughs> yeah, time off. Um, yeah, so guys, um, we've got a really good podcast coming up as well today on yes. a topic um, that we've never really covered before, and it's feet. Feet. The importance of feet. We have, <laughs> they're pretty important. They're very important. <laughs> um, I never really... Uh, liked my feet i was born with uh, flat feet and i had all these orthotics and strange shoes that i had to wear and i never really learned how to walk correctly and i'm still trying to learn now and that causes a lot of structural issues in my body uh and they lead to pain as well and um even though things do get better slowly over time for me it's a it's a process that is probably better better off not initiated in the young ones at all so we have a, a paul thompson who's a, a podiatrist from barefootmovement.com.au and the barefootmovement.com.au and paul is a wonderful human being who explains really really clearly and really simply the importance of uh, not having uh, shoes take over your lives and uh, mm-hmm. and also how to deal with children as they grow up and what kind of shoes they should be wearing and whether they should be wearing them or not um, and just give some really good practical tips around that and emphasize the importance of the right footwear and um, anything that is going to change the way that the body is structured is going to lead to bad habits in the body that will overcompensate um, in terms of the mechanisms that the body needs to 
um, implement to stay balanced and upright and moving forward, um, these things can be avoided with the correct footwear so that your child or yourself, you don't need to go down the orthotics path and uh, you can avoid injuries and you can decrease pain as well throughout your day-to-day activities. So this is a really good podcast on this topic and we think you're going to love it. Joe, do you have anything to add there? Yeah, I just thought it was really fascinating because I'd never really thought about podiatry and I'd never had to... Because you I suppose when feet. yeah, because I grew up wearing no shoes, so my feet were good, <laughs> yeah. and my kids, you know, still hardly ever wear shoes. Um, at twenty, eighteen, sixteen, and fourteen, no, they wear them when they go to work. Yeah, um, but yeah. other than that, they're half the time they're snakes. Yes, they're snakes, and they have to wear steel cap boots at work. So, yeah. all right, never mind. But yeah, it's, it was really interesting to me. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys all think of this podcast. Awesome. Uh, guys, before we leave, just a reminder, if you like the show, there's a few ways that you can support us. One is to come to our seminars. We would really love to see you there. This is like our greatest joy is when we go to seminars and meet you in person okay. and hear your stories. And this is really the, the nicest place for us to meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other one is... If you go to quirkycooking.com.au, you'll see that there's a link to our shop. Over there, you can buy our cookbook, our aprons. You can get the Living Synergy Nut Milk Bags. And we have a range of Solid Technics pans, which we are also giving to you, giving you a 10% discount on if you use the coupon code 10QCP. So that's 10QCP, and you get 10% off Solid Technics pans, which are incredible non-toxic pans that last you for several lifetimes. They actually have a multi-generational warranty on them, which means that your great-grandchildren can actually get a refund if something goes wrong with them, if you buy them now and use them for 100 years. Mm -hmm. And um, this is such a great product. We highly recommend that you check them out and use the coupon code. And we also have a range of balms that are now up on the website. Oh, yes. Uh, are they up on the website? They or? should be. Um, we, we've been so busy with seminars, we haven't checked up on all that. But if they're not, we can get them up pretty soon. What are the balms, uh, Joe? Do you want to explain? Um, so we have um, the healing balm, which is great for just everyday cuts and scrapes and things like that. Um, there's a my favorite one, which is the black poultice. That stuff is like magic. It pulls out splinters. It's good for warts. It's good for, um, you know, when you get a really horrible pimple that you want to get rid of, stick it on there at night, obviously, not during the day because it's black. Um, (laughs) My daughter used it for when she had stinging tree stings all in her hand and the next day her hand was better and it didn't have any sting only a tiny bit of itch Um, it's just an amazing one Um, there's also the chest balm I think which is great coming into winter there's going to be you know all the usual coughs and colds and things that one's a great one to have on hand and I feel like there's one more can't remember Maybe it's a sleep balm. Thanks. The sleep balm. That one, people rave about that with kids that have trouble getting to sleep at night, rub that on the soles of their feet. And it's got essential oils in it that really help with sleep. Um, And that one is a beautiful one to use each night. It's got magnesium in it also, which really helps with sleep. So, yeah. Beautiful. Have a look. These are gorgeous balms. And everyone that I know that has tried them raves about them. 
So our beautiful friend Mary Kelly makes them at home on her stove by hand. What's that? We interviewed her two podcasts ago, is that Yes, yes. She talks about it in there. Yeah. So if you head on to the blog, uh, they're not actually up, but by the time that you look at the blog, I'll have them up. Yes, they'll be up soon. And it's Mother's Day on on Sunday, so if you haven't already got your mum something, there's plenty on the blog there that you can choose from. Books, aprons, the balms, the pans. (laughs) So get onto it. Yeah, there's so so much cool stuff. So please, oh, we also have Happy Happy Poo there. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, for the mum who has kids that have gut health issues, get her Happy Happy Poo to read to them. (laughs) It's a good book. It's so cute. And the kids love it. It's the funniest book ever. It's the only (laughs) funny book about poo, I think, for kids. (laughs) And it's also helpful as well as funny. It is. It's so good. Teaches kids how to eat well and why it's important and (laughs) how it helps them. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, we'll head on to the show. And thank you so much for joining. And we will chat to you soon. Paul Thompson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hi, uh, Paul. Hello. Uh, Paul, we've, uh, I've been to podi- a podiatrist many times in my life to address uh, issues with my flat feet. I, I remember one of my earliest memories is um, going to a podiatrist who put me in really funny shoes that I couldn't bear wearing at the age of seven, and that kind of scarred me for life. Um, <laughs> But we, uh, I'd love to uh, begin to this world of podiatry, which we haven't covered before on the podcast, uh, to actually um, understand um, the scope of the work of a podiatrist. What kind of problems do people come to you with? And um, what have you been seeing over the past few years and as the most common issues that people come in with? Um, well, first, I apologize that um, you had that experience <laughs> with podiatry. <laughs> Sounds horrible. Um, so, yeah, look, podiatrists obviously deal with the feet and clinically what we generally will see people for is there's kind of two parts of podiatry. There's what we call general treatment podiatry, which is all the like, nail, skin um, type of conditions. But then the other side is more the what people look at as sports podiatry or um, biomechanics, which is based around, um, sounds like what you kind of had seen someone for, which is more movement-related issues. Mm-hmm. So that'll tend to be symptoms such as heel pain, Achilles pain, knee pain, back pain, um, you know, big toe pain, bunions, all of the above. It's basically the hip down that we tend to look at um, as like traditional podiatrists. So, so and the, the area of focus for you, has it been around um, the, the more biomechanic stuff or is it uh, all, all of that that you mentioned? Yeah, so look for me, and I'll jump into a little bit of my story. It's kind of like I trained as a traditional podiatrist, went through uni, um, studied, studied podiatry and you learn both. So you, you finish knowing how to do all facets of podiatry. But for me through uni, the biomechanic side of things and the, which then tends to lead to treatment being 
like the stiff, funny shoes and the orthotics and that type of yes. thing. It just it didn't make sense to me. Sorry, it made sense to me. It just didn't. It didn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean. So, like, I got it. I got why they were doing that type of treatment, but I just, I don't know. There was something in my brain just saying, I, "This kind of, I get it, but I don't like it." Mm. So. When I finished, I did do traditional biomechanics for a while, just in general practice, but I tended to focus more on the general treatment because I was helping people. I, I could see, a, you know, I was making a change in, in people's lives with skin and nail conditions. But the more, um, I guess, I kept looking into the biomechanics side of things and, and why I didn't like doing that type of podiatry, it led me down a path of more research, more um, courses, and basically led me to a point that I realised orthotics were a bit of a tool and a bit of a way of helping people through a bind um, in some cases, but for the most part, there was a bigger picture that needed to be resolved that wasn't necessarily being resolved um, by conventional treatment methods i guess like you guys talk about with food right like you know there's a big hidden truth around what food can actually do and movement's the same thing we get led down this path of needing more support needing all these tools and things to to make us move better when in fact it's just fueling the body in a better way um that then corrects all the bad movement patterns naturally so (laughs) So I do focus a lot more on the biomechanics side of things now, but in a very different way to what I, I guess, was trained to do. So, so in the conventional training, when they talk about things like orthotics and arch support and um, these things that sort of manipulate the shape of the feet as they come in contact with the ground, uh, yep. what's the idea behind that? What was the conventional thinking that led us to go down this path? Um, look, it's, pretty, it's complicated. Like, it's hard to obviously have a podcast explain all the different reasons we sometimes need orthotics but the basic underlying principle is that um, an unstable foot so a foot that rolls in too much or flattens out causes problems further upstream which it does so the idea is that you put something in the shoe to hold the arch up and support the foot more so there's a there's less of that flattening out of the foot and therefore, like less, you know, wear and tear on knees, hips, um, ankles, you know, all of the above. Um, but it doesn't resolve like the underlying issue. It's like putting a band aid on something, or or taking a Panadol for something. Like the underlying issue is still there. And don't get me wrong, like orthotics and and supportive shoes are still needed for some people. Like I still prescribe orthotics, you know, where where needed. But my view on it now is that it's just so over-prescribed um, and over-relied upon. And as a society, that's what people will go to even before. They'll come into me, um, you know, knowing nothing about me, just knowing that I'm a podiatrist and will come in with their problem and they've Googled it, whatever the issue is, and they've tried their orthotics from the, from the chemist and that didn't work. So what, you know, what can you do for me? And we're just in this mentality of, oh, so, so, you know, sore foot. We need to put more support in there, whether it's through a shoe or an orthotic. 
that's kind of the mentality we're in at the moment and perhaps what I'm out to change change mm. the, uh, the view on how we, we look at feed and how our food actually can support itself and, and, and not only support itself but support a fully functioning um, body. Our feet are pretty amazing things. So um, how did you get into being interested in all this? I suppose you had trouble with your feet growing up or...? Yeah, look, as a, as a kid, I did, I did wear orthotics um, and I always joke to my patients that that's why I got into podiatry so I could make myself um, cheap orthotics because <laughs> they, they can be quite expensive and for, for a few years I did do that, uh, perks of the job. But, yeah, look, for me, um, you know, I've had just different injuries over the years, some of which were... Um, biomechanical so the way I like move um, mm. with bad posture and, and things like that I'm sure there's definitely a food element <laughs> to it as well <laughs> like the more I'm <laughs> looking into things but um, for me it was just around like after the birth of my son is when I really got serious about it um, I remember we're over in Hawaii and I like obviously didn't have my authorities with me but I'd been looking into it you know, different approaches to, to healing the body through, you know, movement and, and sort of posture correction. But, yeah, I vividly remember walking along one of the beaches and, you know, having some niggling pains and I was really drawn to them mentally just focusing on just how I didn't want to be an old dad. I wanted to, you know, be able to, to run and, and bend and play and not have aches and pains as an excuse and mm. orthotics hadn't done that for me. In fact, you know, having to walk on the beach holding my son, I was in just as much pain as if not more um, anyway. So from that moment, I was really serious about it and it became a mission of mine to fix myself, which I'm still on the journey of doing, but also to to not mess my kid up. <laughs> I sort of mm. thought, you know, what, why am I like this? Um, obviously there's injuries, but biomechanically we can't be born or we can't like the, the orthotic industry is huge. Like it's a billion dollar industry. The footwear industry is another billion dollar industry. And I remember just thinking like this can't, we surely we haven't evolved to have feet and, and sort of bodies that are this bad that we need shoes and supports for the majority of the population to get around. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah and I just really got stuck into learning and learning and learning as much as I could um, to now you know, I've realised just what you know shoes and sitting and foods um, the effect that they do have on our body and the way we move um, so you know I want to educate as many parents as I can on just how we can create better movement patterns for kids so they mm. grow up and develop in a way that is more natural and that the body learns to support itself. And then for adults, obviously, it's, it's trying to get back to that natural way of moving um, to stop relying on all the artificial supports and to start actually using our body, um, yeah, the way it was designed to be moved. Mm-hmm. So, Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah. 
Well, yeah. well, what I'm really interested in knowing is um, you've kind of come to that conclusion is in a way sort of taking us back more in line with our nature so that um, our bodies can develop uh, in a way that is strong and well aligned. Um, that's what I'm hearing you say. But I'd love to understand a little bit more detail about that. So um, maybe we'll start with the perspective of, um, of someone who's uh, born... Um, looking like they're healthy, like their feet are fine, that there's no problem with that. Um, mm-hmm. what's, what's the general um, way for someone like that to progress and to continue to grow so that their feet and their posture are actually not going to be damaged by their lifestyle? What's, what's a good uh, way to, keep, to go from there? So look, there's three, I'm sure there's more, but there's three um, sort of key factors I talk to parents about um, when they come in just for... You know, to, to ask basically what you just asked, how do I keep you know, how are my kids feed and, and how do I keep them healthy? There's three big things we need to be aware of as parents and even just as adults for our own feet. Um, but look, most, there was a, I can't remember the guy's name, there was a pediatrician, a leading pediatrician in the States who had he'd once written that um, in his clinic anyway in his practice he believed that 99% of um, babies born had perfectly normal feet so you know, there's obviously some kids that um, are born with structural um, problems different conditions that mm. that you know will affect their feet and that's you know that needs to be addressed and um, treated differently but for the most part um, a healthy foot it needs to move. It needs to um, adapt to the ground. It needs the nerves. There's around 200,000 nerve endings in the feet that need to be stimulated to create um, the right muscles to fire at the right time. Um, and it just feeds the brain so much information. So the, the three D things are, are footwear. Footwear is a huge one that I um, it drives me nuts. I could talk about it all day. Um, sitting is another big one. We sit too much and food, which you guys, um, would be all over anyway. And from, um, a podiatry point of view with food, a lot of those inflammatory foods and sugary foods, it changes the way our body moves as it creates inflammation in the joints and creates stickiness in the tendons, which Mm -hmm. creates compensation patterns. So if you've got a slightly inflamed joint, it may not even be sore, but if it's not, if it's inflamed, it's going to change the way that joint moves through its full range of motion. So your body will right. see that as trauma and want to protect it. So you can then um, change the way you walk. Like if you bang your big toe, right, and you know it's sore, you might limp for a little while, pain goes away, it gets better, it's fine. You go back to walking normally. Unless you've walked with that bad toe for years on end, then that pattern can become a habit and you'll constantly walk with that limp until you actually correct it because your brain has developed that way of walking for so long. And inflamed joints can be a similar thing. I believe that if, you know, through foods or whatever it is that's inflaming your body, if, if you're having to compensate even just slightly, it throws the body out of its natural um, alignment, natural state of movement that you may protect 
a certain area a little bit more subconsciously and it definitely changes the way we move. Mm. Uh, the sitting one, basically kids and adults, we all sit too much, which creates an imbalance in muscles, turns the glutes, um, well, not so much off, but it inhibits the way they move and the way they function. And mm. the glutes are a major part of um, stabilising um, our body when we walk and when we balance. But the big one that I want to push today is, is the footwear. Mm. So basically, you know, even as a, like a traditional podiatrist, we're told kids are in soft-soled shoes until around the age of two. So the first couple of years when they first start walking, it's a soft-soled shoe. But then from around two, um, everything changes and we are guided more towards from, um, from a podiatry point of view but also just in shoe stores all around um, well, Australia but probably around the world as well. We then start seeing stiff-soled shoes, more support in the shoes uh, and by the time the kids are at school, we all know the, the typical mm-hmm. type of school shoe. They become really quite rigid and supportive. But what's actually changed between, you know, an 18-month-old and a two-year-old with their foot? Like it's still growing and developing. So, if, you know, if we're trying to keep the soft soles in the shoes until around two while they're growing and developing, why at two? This was sort of my dilemma, especially with my son, um, trying to find you know, shoes and things that fit and, and move naturally, they're, just, they're really hard to find because mm. everyone wants to start supporting and, and selling you more features um, to protect your child's feet. But the arch of the foot doesn't develop until around the age of um, six. And the way mm. that develops is like any other muscle. You have to use it um, and abuse it <laughs> to really get it strong and, and resilient. But if we're locking it up in a shoe that doesn't happen. It doesn't allow the muscles in the arch to fire as well. Um, and yeah, it just changes, changes everything. So the features in the shoes, I know you were going to ask this, <laughs> um, are basically the heel. So the big one that just drives me nuts is the heel in a shoe. And you look at most kids' shoes, um, like a traditional jogger, or school shoe, they'll have at least a centimetre heel height compared to the front of the shoe, Mm. which means we're tilting. If you were just to stand the child up dead straight without compensating anywhere, that centimetre heel in a small child with a small foot tilts them forward. I'm not sure how many degrees, but it's going to tilt their centre of gravity forward. So you would then have to end up compensating by shortening the Achilles and the calves, um, compensating the hips to tilt slightly so that you can stay upright mm-hmm. um, and therefore like neck and shoulders will also become affected. So that little heel that we start at around the age of two or worst case five when we go to school, we're in those shoes for, you know, seven, eight hours a day, some children, um, even longer if they play sport after school, that have this little heel so they're never developing a natural movement pattern. They're always in a shortened position, compensating because of the forward tilt um, with that little heel. Mm. And the arch is always on um, or slightly tightened 
because the big toe is going to be slightly raised, which is a natural function in the foot that causes the foot to lock as a way of propelling. But if the big toe never goes completely flat, you never unlock the foot fully, which means mm. the foot never functions like a naturally functioning foot. Have I lost you yet? <laughs> no, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that I never wore shoes until I was about grade five. <laughs> yeah, right. Perfect. Final, final Queensland life. <laughs> so everyone needs to move there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we, we didn't have to wear them to school. That's great. Um, I see a lot of uh, kids um, that have their feet like really turned out, like their toes are yeah. Really, really far out instead of sort of being a little bit, well, not parallel, but kind of the toes pointing forward, the big toes pointing forward. What's the what's the shape of a healthy foot alignment? What what should it look like? It should look like a hand. So okay. it should have spaces between each of the toes. So the normal foot that we see, and when I say normal, um, I'm Common. not talking about natural, I'm talking about yeah, what everyone's foot looks like. Yeah. It's all squished together because of yeah. shoes and it's become normal because the majority of people wear shoes, right, which pushes the toes together, which also turns a lot of the muscles off um, in the foot because they just don't need to activate anymore. Mm. So you actually want to see a space between, yeah, as many toes as you can, a nice wide foot's a nice healthy foot. Definitely not the today's beauty standard for no <laughs> no. no I, I know um I've I've met people from New Guinea that were because up here in far north Queensland it's very close to us and we see um, their feet are more like you're saying with the space in between the toes. That's great. Always without shoes. <laughs> and, and in terms of like the alignment of the feet to each other, like um. If, if one, one was to assess their own feet, whether they're developing correctly or have developed correctly or not, um, what should we see? Like the, um, should the feet be parallel to each other or slightly apart? Or how can you maybe describe the shape of how they align next to each other? Yeah, so ideally in an adult's foot, um, it should be more parallel, maybe about 10 degrees maximum pointing outwards. Okay. But the, but the big sort of duck-footed Australian stance that we see, that's, that's because of, you know, thongs and bad shoes and sitting too much. <laughs> the whole posture is just you're hanging off your joints, basically. You're not using the muscles um, to support your body. But in children, it's slightly different. They do go through different development patterns where the feet will... They'll change, or the hip will be as the hip develops. Um, once the child's standing, it'll go from more of a that big, wide, duck-footed stance, mm. where the child's trying to learn balance, and you know they'll they'll stand with that wider duck-footed stance naturally, and that's fine, that's normal. Then they might even come into more of a pigeon-toed stance for a little bit, mm. and then back out um, to sort of straight or or slightly duck-footed, but. Yeah, children do. There is some normal variations in children while they're developing. Um, but sort of by the time they're, um, by the time they're oh, 10, like definitely by 10, um, you want to be seeing the children sort of standing with their feet straighter, you know, good posture. 
glutes on, tummies <laughs> engaged and the feet are engaged. Um, none of this hanging of one hip um, <laughs> that we see on the teenagers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I experienced... Um, a lot of trouble with my posture and I'm kind of still recovering from this whole thing. Um, my peak weight was uh, 128 kilos. And at that point, my big toes uh, had frozen. Like they actually stopped moving up or down. Yeah. And um, since then I've lost 30 kilos. And I think it must have been around 2012 or something that as I had adopted the paleo diet, uh, I, th I was really thinking a lot about ancestral movement patterns and what I should do to be able to heal my body. And I was reassessing all these things in my life that I was doing conventionally and whether they actually fit in line with hunter-gatherer patterns of living. And I decided to go to like a more barefoot approach. Uh, yeah. So some, uh, you know, the... Vibram five five fingers and um, to uh, you know the uh, complete shock and horror of my friends and family, and because <laughs> uh, uh, they look like a glove on your feet, uh, really. <laughs> yeah. And um, also found the Merrill like uh, Merrill were making these. Um, yeah, oh, the trail glove was it? Yeah, um, I don't, I'm not sure if that's no it's not the trail it wasn't going around my toes like it was just a normal shoe with zero heel yeah zero drop yeah, yeah. and the, the Vibram so I think Vibram was making their um, just the bottoms of the, the soles of those shoes they were actually yeah. doing those and um, that was a bit more uh, wearable in public it didn't look too different to that's the right <laughs> um, but I also had like a career as a software engineer. I was working as an IT manager and, you know, working in banks and stuff. So I couldn't actually wear these things there. I struggled a lot finding um, all, all this footwear that would actually suit um, a, like a more kind of professional environment. But the funny yeah. thing is like um, I remember um, I was walking around, um, I think the house I was um, – I was cleaning the car or something like that and there was water um, under my feet and my feet were wet and I was walking around on the, the concrete and I couldn't even recognize my own fit footprints after uh, a year or so of being barefoot because I used to leave like a whole foot footprint. Like I didn't actually oh, ha have... Yeah, it was kind of flat. flat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and then I looked down, I could see that only the left side of, you know, the left foot was showing and like it just... Cool. Uh, I was like, who's this guy who's, you know... <laughs> <laughs> That's after one year. Yeah, yeah. And, wow. and then over the years, uh, a lot of the movement has come back to my toes. So my left toe moves up and down completely freely now. The big toe on the right foot still struggles a little bit, but probably has increased movement like 60% or 70%. That's right. It, but yeah. I still have like a, um, it, I, I don't know if you call it a bunion, but like a, a really, it's not as uh, severe as bunions that I've seen, but like a, a growth yeah. in that bone. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, um, it's, it's too big and it, it experiences inflammation and, and pain, especially if I hit that part of my foot with something, it, it's very painful. Um, but the improvement was, you know, really remarkable for, for me to see the changes in the architecture of my foot and how by taking the support away that I've always given it, because I used to wear orthotics and supportive shoes and all that kind of stuff, because um, 
I just wasn't stable on my feet. By, by taking that away, the, the arch developed itself for the first time in my life and it was just in, incredibly amazing yeah. to me. See, I, actually, the, even that part of me that I lived my whole life thinking was some kind of a birth defect that I had flat feet was yeah. beginning to correct itself. And um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about this uh, the process of recovery and what people would actually see um, when they move to the advice that you give them, like what kind of changes have you seen? Um, so yeah, similar to what you just said, like I, I think the things that people will see will definitely be the, um, the actual foot change shape. Um, but that's kind of, so for some people that's enough and creating just a stronger foot, you know, by getting barefoot and using your feet um, can be a fantastic change and, and change um, the way your body moves. But the, just to touch on what you were just saying, um, what I normally recommend to people is like the shoe is normally the last thing that I'll change in an adult, mm-hmm. um, mainly because I've just seen too many people try and transition to barefoot or sorry, not transition. They'll just take the shoe away and like start trying to, you know, walk barefoot more, but then end up with more aches and pains. Mm -hmm. So you need to, not everyone, like some people, like I said, will be fine just to ditch the shoes. But for a lot of people, especially in adults, there can be years and years of, um, yeah, poor movement patterns, joint restrictions, weak muscles, um, even like a disconnect between your motor controls or the way you actually, um, yeah, like move and control your foot and the rest of your body. So some exercises are normally really advisable um, to start the process and they can be as simple as working on some hip strength. So normally the uh, at the moment I have some free exercises on, on my website anyway um, just to help people start to bridge that, that gap. And they're basically things like, yeah, some hip bridges to get the hips and glutes a little bit stronger and firing, um, some specific foot exercises. I like to use one called the short foot. Um, which is basically contracting and relaxing the arch of your foot and starting to engage those muscles again before ditching the shoes. And then once you feel you're getting some strength and some control back in the foot and in the hips, then start to wean out of the like shoes, especially with the, the heel in the shoe. Um, but then for people that really are struggling and, and need more help, then obviously seek someone that can help you transition better and actually work on your movement patterns and really assess what the restriction is so that you can get there safely and, and actually learn to move properly and not just develop a new bad habit that might catch up with you later on. Um, yeah. So, so there are dangers then obviously in that kind of quick transition. So maybe... 100%. Can, yeah, can That's why Vibram, <laughs> Vibram yeah. Five Fingers, they got sued. Right. <laughs> so, okay. Oh. So what happened years ago, there was a bit of a barefoot craze, right? Like everyone thought, oh, barefoot's 
the next best thing. And Vibram was selling lots of shoes. They were the five-finger glove-looking shoes. But they, it was partly their, um, it was their advertising that brought them undone. They were telling people the shoes were going to, you know, solve all these problems and um, help get people better, basically, when in actual fact the shoes won't necessarily do that. So people were going from, you know, running their 10, 20, 30 Ks a day or whatever they were doing and then overnight switched to this new fantastic um, shoe that, you know, had no support and was going to strengthen your body. But what happened is they didn't transition and were still running the same Ks, might have had the, the same bad movement patterns and people were getting really hurt. People were getting all these different injuries and, and some quite severe and there was a class action um, against Fibram some years ago and they actually got sued for it. But it's not the shoe. So like they're fantastic shoes still. It's just that we need to be aware that it's not just the shoe that's going to fix us. It's working on moving better. Mm. So and like nourishing healthy movements. I was like just saying I'm going on a diet. Like, cool, you can go on a diet and you might lose some weight, but if you're still eating lots of inflammatory foods, there's still going to be underlying issues that you haven't dealt with, right? So movement's the same. You can ditch, you know, the shoes and feel like you're going to become, you know, better at being barefoot, but if you don't address some of the underlying um, bad movement patterns or stiff joints or strengthen some of the really big stabilizing muscles that are there to support us, then you still not might not be moving as naturally or as healthily as you could be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, because I kind of um, still wasn't at that point where I could do any vigorous exercise, I think that in itself spared me from having problems, uh, you know, trying to run too much barefoot or anything. Like, so it was more beginning to walk barefoot. Um, mm. And then whenever I felt like, uh, hey, my feet got too tired from that, I'd go back to my shoes, which had already changed shape. Like I wouldn't go into wearing uh, like the super supportive shoes. I'd start wearing shoes that were a bit less supportive and it was sort of like a transition out of it. Yeah, um, great. But I, I remember reading this book, uh, Born to Run, which I'm sure you're yeah. familiar with. And that one sort of really glorified the barefoot movement. Um, and it was one of, you know, maybe the, 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 the book that um, a lot of people I know who do barefoot read and got inspired by. And, and he was talking mm. about the, the Taramara tribe who, you know, are the best runners in the world and they, they run barefoot. And um, it kind of, you know, it's so convincing when you see this kind of um, hunter-gatherer evidence that, hey, this is how we're designed to be and how our bodies should, should be working. But you're right. Like, our bodies aren't actually, uh, you know, the bodies of a hunter-gatherer. Yeah. <laughs> no, far from it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it was just a, uh, a really good transition for me but i've heard some horror stories about people like really injuring their feet or the tendons getting super inflamed because mm -hmm. they were too short because of the heels and then they transitioned to running and the heel the the, the, like the tendon just wasn't long enough to cope with that kind of pressure 
from running barefoot. So it's a, it's a big yeah. kind of word of warning. And, and this is why I, I love like, you know, seeing like with all these things now we're seeing uh, really expert advice come around uh, this topic, which before was just like a, people intuitively knew that it was good, but they never had some serious guidelines around it. So can you talk maybe a little bit about that program that you have to teach people and um, sort of the, the concepts that you introduce them to and maybe where they find this program as well? well? We'll put all these details in the show notes, but I'd love to talk, know a bit about that program and how you approach this transition for people. Yeah, so look, um, I do run um, workshops occasionally. They're kind of few and far between at the moment. Um, but I do, for people who want to do it themselves, um, I'll run like a one-day workshop and just go through all the all the basics and all sort of the, the basic exercises that you need to do to transition not only safely but then to maintain really healthy movement patterns. Um, but otherwise, I work with people uh, one-on-one, either in person or over Skype, um, same thing. We just work through like the restrictions that are in the body, especially through movement patterns, and then go through drills um, and exercises to start rebuilding healthy movement patterns. So the program, that, like my methodology that I, that I use, I call it the SLAC methodology, so S-L-A-C-K, and basically it stands for strengthen, lengthen, align, control, and then keep. And they're the things we're looking at to create really healthy movement patterns. So we need good strength in all the the stabilizing muscles um, in our body. Then we need length through joints um, and through tendons and, and through muscles. We need to be able to access our full range of motion. We then need to learn and become aware about actually how to align our body to how to stand properly. You know, some of the concepts around walking, what you should be maybe focusing on when you, when you are trying to you know, think about walking a bit differently. There's, there is right and wrong ways to stand and walk and ways you can actually activate muscles um, a lot more efficiently when moving. Then we go through how to control movement, and that's the big one. So a lot of stuff you'll read online, you know, there's lots of great stuff out there um, about transitioning to, to barefoot or just healthy movement. Um, and a lot of it's more around mobility, so you know, creating range of motion and, and stretching and foam rolling and all these things or strength programs. But there's not a lot of people out there really – um, teaching people how to control movement and that's the big one. That's where you take the range of motion, take the, the strength in the muscles and bring them together in a way that everything works at the right time and in the right order, the right, in the right place. Um, you know, you're not compensating um, and then you need to learn to keep that up. So you have to maintain movement, especially this day and age um, where we do... Yeah, sit a lot. You know, you might have to wear shoes for work or, um, you know, the world at the moment, you have to get us. <laughs> it's trying to not make us eat as well as we could or not move as well as we could. And that's cool as long as you're aware of that and can then bring things into each and every day that you can, yeah, create that maintenance phase. 
um, then you start to see long-lasting results and a lot of, you know, aches and pains um, start to go away, especially in, in movement. Um, and a big reduction in injury as well as improved performance. So you just move more efficiently. That's why that, you know, Taro Mara tribe you're talking about um, can run these ultra marathons completely barefoot and they do it for fun. <laughs> like it doesn't, it's not hard for them because they just move so efficiently and so naturally um, that it's not, it's not hard work. Just, so then they are actually born to run. It's possible then for us to like train ourselves um, because it, it seems like there needs to be a conscious effort in being really tuned into your movement patterns early, early on as you, oh. as you transition. To do it properly, it's, it's, like, it's, it's like taking on a whole foods diet, right? Like to do movement properly, you need to be committed. And I see it in a clinic all the time where people will, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And you start working with them and, you know, if, they, if they're not doing the exercises and not, it's like trying to eat paleo or, or whatever. Like you can, see, you can pretend to eat paleo, but you're still sneaking in some sugary treats. You're not going to get the same results, right? So you need to be committed to actually changing the way you move and wanting to change the way you move for it to work. Otherwise, you're probably just better off in the orthotics than... Mm. Does, does it transition out of that kind of uh, conscious mind state to becoming then a subconscious movement pattern, like a healthy one? Oh, definitely, definitely. Right. It's just the early days that if you're used to moving a certain way, like even breathing. So a big part of what I teach people now, and it's, it's kind of weird because there's nowhere near the feet, but like <laughs> learning, to, <laughs> learning to breathe properly... Um, is one of the first things I go through with people because you need to be able to stabilise your midsection um, and breathe diaphragmatically into your gut. So it's funny that you guys always talk about gut health and even <laughs> from a movement point of view, I'm always talking to people about the gut health as well. Like it all stems from the gut, but for me it's more about stabilising the gut yeah. through movement. Um, <laughs> but it's funny that everything seems to start around the gut. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can definitely change these patterns and they become subconscious. It's just early days, like any new practice. You just need to practice it and need to, to yeah, be a little bit committed to it. And it doesn't have to take long periods of time. Um, but it's about actually learning and doing drills that change the way you move um, so that it does become, you know, you know, over time you'll start to feel different once you feel what a movement should feel like um it feels good and your body likes that it's just having to teach it to do that over and over again so it becomes subconscious mm. um, yeah joe go ahead i was just gonna say i would love to know from a parent's perspective um what sort of thing what sort of um, movement and exercise you would recommend them getting kids started on early like what kind of things do you do, do you do with your boy to get him moving well? So I've got a four-year-old and an 11-month-old. Um, so the four-year-old, he's very, very rarely in shoes. Mm-hmm. And when he is in shoes, they're normally, well, they are always barefoot shoes. So it'll be like a, a soft-soled leather bottom shoe or um, just something really, really minimalist. Any brand that um, you, you use for your, your kid that we can recommend that you like? You like? 
Yeah, so, um, and look, don't get too hung up on shoes. Like, I still try and tell parents, even though there are some better shoe options out there now, little feet still need lots of stimulation from different textures and surfaces. Um, there's lots of different research coming out around, um, like, how it can help developing the brain as well. So, mm. yeah, don't. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you some shoes that just don't think that they're like the be-all and end-all. You still mm-hmm. need to get barefoot where possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, look, some of the shoes that we use are Vivo Barefoot. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I know Vivo. Yeah. yeah, so Vivo do some kids' shoes. Um, there's a brand on Instagram called PK Designs, I think it is. I'll, I'll send you the, the names of them. Okay. They sent me some samples recently, and they were actually really good. I was really impressed with um, with their shoes. They're a really thin rubber sole. They move quite well, and they've got some pretty cool colours and designs. Mm-hmm. Um, we've used a brand called Shoe Tweak Designs as well. They're like a moccasin. They're a little bit narrow in the in the toes for my liking, but the rest of the shoe is absolutely amazing. They're so thin, and they're just leather. So they feel a bit mm-hmm. stiff feel a bit stiff when you first get them, but they break in so quick. Um, and we, yeah, he, my little boy, he's been through a few of those pairs and smashes them. He loves them. <laughs> and the one other thing that we will sometimes use are uh, just rock shoes, so like wetsuit boots. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. They're a fantastic like, option just to, you know, if you're hiking, hiking through the bush or something, they're soft, oh, yeah. they're, they can get wet. They do stink after a while, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're really soft and, you know, give you a little bit of protection if you're yeah, hiking or something or, you know, going over rocks down the beach, but, um, yeah, really minimalist. But like I said, as barefoot as often as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and to answer your question, what exercises we do, I try not to do exercises as such with, with kids, even in the clinic, we try and make more games out of stuff. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. More the like, what kind of do you take him bushwalking? Do you go, rock, you know, climbing? Yeah, rocks so we live, we live, we live like right near a, a beach, so we're always down the beach, climbing over rocks and yep. playing games in the sand. Um, he, we do a lot of like little crawling games, so. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of hard to explain over a podcast. We play a game called, um, it's kind of like what's the time, Mr. Wolf? Mm-hmm. But instead of sneaking up behind, we crawl like a Komodo. So yeah. we get really low, knees off the ground. And that's, so you, you know, ask how many steps you have to do. And if it's four, then you do four little crawls really low. That's so it's really idea. developing those, those hip patterns and pushing off to the big toe. Um, and then the guy who's like the wolf, He's a bug sprayer, right? So you're crawling, like, you're crawling like a bug. And then if the bug sprayer says, you know, it's, it's spray time, he'll run after you. And if he taps you, you have to lay on your back for the next round like a dead bug. So you're activating all the, the core muscles and, and doing the opposite arm, opposite leg. So you start working yeah. on some motor control, like contralateral patterns. That's one little game we play. Um, you just get some movement patterns. Happening, but yeah, lots of crawling. A lot of kids just don't seem to crawl enough anymore. Mm. Parents want to pull them up 
um, too quick and stand them up. And once kids get the taste of standing, they don't want to go back on the ground. Yeah. So let your kids crawl as long as they can because it's so good for, like, yeah, contralateral patterns. So getting the arms and legs moving in opposite directions, which is what happens when we walk. Um, but it develops so much strength through the hips and stability through the hips as well as that drive off through the big toe. So as kids start crawling and pushing down through the big toe, it just activates so many um, good movement patterns. So, yeah, really encourage crawling. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Even for adults, I crawl. That's like <laughs> part of my exercise regime is yeah. crawling, crawling patterns. Like it is so hard to do <laughs> if you do it properly. Uh, <laughs> I found a um, a link. Oh no! I found a website that I'll have to see if I can find it to link to. But it had all different um, animal movement type games and exercises for kids, and it talked about how it really helps them with sensory processing disorder. And um, mm. it would be the same sort of thing. It really helps them with their movement. And um, yeah, I'll have to see if I can find that link. It was really good exercises. Yeah, I'd be interested to um, to see that as well. Yeah, I've posted it a couple of times in our um, support group for our gut health program. Okay, cool. Uh, Paul, uh, I just picked up on some key words that you used while you were describing shoes. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd just like to run through like what I understand are the qualities of a good shoe and maybe you can correct me or add to my understanding. So it's, yep. it seems like from your perspective, the function of a shoe is to protect the foot really from any kind of sharp objects or something like that and then it needs to have like uh, a lot of space around the toes so they don't get squashed in and it Mm -hmm. needs to be flexible so that the foot can actually move freely without being restricted by the actual uh, shape and structure of the shoe itself is there anything else that i've um, missed out Uh, and the heel height just making sure yes yeah Yeah, right yeah and there's no like which normally is tied in with heel height as well. But if you put a shoe flat on the ground, the toes should be flat as well. But a lot of traditional shoes, the toes will sort of roll up. They'll be like a, yeah. a rocker and, at the front. Yeah. And that, that's not a good thing. That doesn't allow the big toe, well, it sort of helps the big toe out by the toe doesn't have to bend quite as much because the front of the shoe will roll. So then you're not activating. There's lots of things that happen when the big toe bends. Um, just from an anatomy point of view. So it's pretty cool. It's all these built-in features that came standard with this model of human body. But we just don't tap into it when we have those little features in in the shoes. So, yeah, really, really flat flat shoes is a, a must. I've, I've okay. been using something really uh, that I'd, I'd love to run past you. Uh, yeah. I, found, I found it personally very beneficial, but um, I, I don't use that for my children, but it's just because my big toe still hurts a little bit and um i came across this a few years ago ago called something called cluffy or cluffy wedge i don't know if you've heard of it but it's this kind of little uh, really tiny silicon wedge that you put in the front of your shoe underneath the big toe and for me what it does is um because my toe just as it lands to the ground there's always this friction for on the bone that just as i'm stepping forward it causes this kind of inflammatory friction on on the joint of the big toe just by having this little wedge under my big toe it kind of puts it in in the position 
as it comes down to the ground that when the pressure hits it, the, the joints already in the right position. So the bones don't actually, um, uh, grate against each other. And so uh, sitting between the big toes, you mean? No, just sits right under the big toe. Just it's just right. Okay. Under, yeah. And it's just this, yeah. this tiny wedge with, uh, that is sort of, it's like a doorstop really, but definitely not as extreme in its angle. Like it's really, and just forcing it towards just, the middle of the foot. But towards the other foot, um, it, no, it just pushes it up to, towards the sky. It kind of pushes it. Okay. Up. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll send you the link for it, so you can tell, maybe tell me offline what, what you think. I can mention it in the next <laughs> podcast uh, intro. What you thought about it, so that because uh, I'd love to have your your opinion because I found it super helpful for my uh, Halix Limitus. That's what my podiatrist called it. You know, like a, yeah, okay, yeah, I know you mean. Um, so, yeah, my little my take on that is, yeah, like little things like that can be beneficial to get around some blockages. But my goal is always, like, can we actually work on your Alex limiters? Like, can we get some more mobility through that, and then train all the muscles around, like that big toe joint to get stronger, so that you can use the big toe more functionally without yeah. having to use little like devices to yeah. just. I'd love to not to have to use it. So would uh, joining your program online help me transition out of this? Yeah, I think we should definitely have a chat and um, I can show you some exercises that, that can be really good for for stabilizing that big toe joint. Awesome. Um, see, but just, just quickly, just for everyone else out there too, with sometimes with the big toe, you need to look further upstream. So quite often I'll see a link between um, like a hallux limitus or hallux rigidus, which is means a stiff big toe and a hip dysfunction. So if mm. your hip's not working as well as it should, yeah. your big oh, toe can lock up. So you kind of need to look at both ends. Okay. <laughs> Great. Maybe I, we can do a Skype session and you can have a... Sounds um, like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm scared. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad I, I was raised in... North Queensland, we just ran around with no shoes and we did heaps of bushwalking and rock climbing and clambering over riverbeds and, you know, all of that stuff was just an everyday thing for us. And I just remember my um, my sister gave me some shoes when I was in grade five and I was like, oh, okay, I'll wear them to school. But I always <laughs> took them off as soon as it was exercise time in the morning and I never put them on for the rest of the day. <laughs> so good. You're so lucky. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so jealous. My kids have grown up like that. I remember posting a photo on my Facebook page one day. We were moving a house and my kids were running up and down the street with no shoes, taking boxes from one house to another because we moved up the street. I had people horrified that my kids were wearing no shoes and I was like, this is normal, isn't it? (laughs) Kids don't wear shoes, do they? (laughs) That's That's a really interesting point. That's one thing that I find... um, is a big blockage for some people. Yeah, it's, it's social. Like, it's like, like you don't look after your kids properly if they don't have shoes on. And I was just. I couldn't even tell you the amount of times I've had people at the park because my little boy doesn't wear shoes. Yeah. Like at the park, like if we go to the yeah. shops, he doesn't wear shoes. Like yeah. you, anywhere that he's not going to, you know, contract a contagious disease. Yeah. Or he's not going to step on glass. He's pretty much yeah. barefoot. Yeah. And I've had people at the park say to me, "Where's?" You know, where's your shoes? Or, or people at the shop say to him, mm. where's your shoes, little boy? And he's like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> why do you have shoes on? <laughs> like, 
And so policy yeah, in stores, like, like in shopping centers that you're not allowed in without shoes, like it's, it's to that level we have oh, bare, uh, barefoot well, phobia. It's good that I live yeah, in a small or, country town because no one cares here. <laughs> right, like down here, yeah. like I'm in south of Sydney and even preschool, we had to talk to the preschool and take on responsibility. Right, uh, so you can do that. Because he goes to, he, like they're supposed to wear shoes, but... Mm. We said he's not like he doesn't wear shoes. Like he's not, he doesn't need to. We don't. You know, not at preschool age. I mean, they're not working in a lab. <laughs> well, that's right. There shouldn't be anything yeah. in here that's going to be dangerous. So that was an eye opener too. That you know, it's just society standards that we are supposed to wear shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, it's funny. But shoes have had their place in the yeah industry. They've helped us get to places that are you know too hot for our skin or too cold. Yeah. So I mean. Yeah, they definitely have a function, but we also need to let our feet, you know, enjoy some of their natural function as well. Mm. Um, you That's mentioned uh, we talked about footwear and, and food. I'd love to maybe talk about that last point, sitting, and mm. the damage that does. Yeah. So sitting. I'm doing all my good work now. <laughs> well, <you're sitting. laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, like, and the thing with sitting – even as adults, like some people I see will go into like standing roles, whether it's retail or, or trades or whatever it is. But unfortunately, for the most part of our upbringing, we're in chairs and that's school. Mm. You know, we're sitting in chairs for, for long periods of time and that starts to change that whole movement pattern thing I was talking about. So when we're sitting for long periods of time, our hip flexors, so the front of our hips can start to become shortened, which can change um, the position of the pelvis. Mm. Um, We also don't activate the glutes as well as we should when we're sitting. For most people, we don't activate them at all. Um, Where, you know, our ancestors would have been squatting or otherwise just sitting on the ground and getting back up off the ground. But they'd be going through these big sort of movement patterns where now we just sit at 90 degrees and that's it. We're constantly in the same position. So it's more that it just, it shortens a few different um, like tendons around the hip. It can also, um, our ankles can become a little bit deactivated as well because they're just sitting on the ground. They're not having to do anything. They're just in the one position for long periods of time. Um, but it's for me, it's more around the glute function. I think sitting too much just creates lots of hip instabilities, um, as well as breathing dysfunctions. So it's that whole sort of core and, and hip um, patterns that start to change. Because sitting for long periods of time, it, it gets harder, not impossible, but it's definitely harder to breathe with your diaphragm, to breathe deep into your belly to create support and control you just don't need to you're sort of squished up in 90 degrees we start to you know sit it like just yeah hang off our joints and so that's kind of where i see chairs a big problem in that yeah we're just not having to support our bodies either we just chill out um and sort of get a bit lazy for long periods of time um, in these sort of devices yeah slouching and, and sitting off you know one maybe one hip um so, yeah, it's, for me, it's definitely the shoes that's the big one I want to change. 
um, the view of with the world. But yeah, we can't forget that, that sitting for long periods of times will change um, our posture as well if we're not aware of how we're sitting. Um, and then, yeah, the food stuff. Awesome. Um, I've got one last question about um, adult male shoes for work. If you've got any recommendations that, about something that looks professional for, for them that they can take into the workplace. What about women's shoes that look nice? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely more options um, coming out that look normal. So, yeah, yeah Vivo Barefoot, um, they do a, a pretty good job at the moment. Like, they have, like, leather school and, and sort of work-looking shoes. Mm. Um, there's, there's a couple of brands. I can't remember their names. I could track them down and, um, and send them to you. But there are a couple of brands that do dress shoes. But the issue is they're quite expensive. Mm. Like really expensive. I remember one pair of yeah. that was around five hundred dollars for a pair of minimalist dress shoes. Um, mm. So they are out there, but yeah, you kind of pay for them. So even if, like, depending on what you have to wear, like yeah, like I said, Vivo barefoot do some some nice dressy looking adult shoes. But otherwise, worst case, if you have to wear your dressy shoes like traditional shoes to, you know, a meeting or to um, just sitting for us. Yeah, (laughs) things like that, then then so be it. But then it's like where can you start to switch out those shoes? Like if you're just walking around the office or you're, um, you know, from from the office to home, if you're catching the train, then it might be putting on some minimalist shoes shoes and and trying to tap back into that and connect to, to your feet again. Um, but yeah look, keep looking online because there's more and more brands coming out that are, are jumping onto the barefoot minimalist movement um, but yeah the really dressy sort of work looking shoes there's still not a whole lot out there unfortunately. yeah yeah I actually realised I've got one more thing I'd love to yeah. yeah. uh, I'll just say it and, and you tell me your thoughts because it's one of those yeah. uh, women's high heel shoes oh no I knew we'd say that uh, no, I'm, about to hang up. I'm about to hang <laughs> I just have one pair that I like it's just a little high heels and look it's the same thing right it's about how do you ever wear them anyway yeah but it's, if you're going to like I still like to preach to people that, yeah, barefoot is best. We need to be barefoot as much as possible um, <laughs> all the time, ideally. But I get it, right? We live in, you know, whatever century we're in. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to keep the podcast relevant, right? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like if you're going to go out and you want to wear some fancy shoes, then so be it. But it's being aware of what those shoes will do to you long term. Yeah. And then trying to, to manage it so that, yeah, if you're wearing them more often than you should, then you also then understand what you need to do to counterbalance um, that shoe um, and, you okay. know, have that awareness of being in a flatter shoe as much as you can. Well, the thing is when you're wearing um, the flat shoes all the time and barefoot a lot and you put on a pair of high heels, you can't wear them for very long, I find. <laughs> no. um, 
it's it's really just for something fancy and then you get them off as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you can, they're definitely... Criminal, Joe, it's criminal. Oh, I know, but I just love my red high heels, but I only wear them now and then for speaking in. <laughs> yeah. like we'll that. Yes. <laughs> we'll get some nice red flat shoes for you. Okay, yes. okay. <laughs> 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 Love it. Have to go shopping again. Oh, shoe shopping. <laughs> nah, that's good fun. Yeah, yeah. We always paint some. Um, yeah, I was thinking that. So you should be barefoot. Paint, paint just some body paint on the. Reckon on the that'll work in. Um, you know, when they say you've got to have closed-in shoes for cooking, do you reckon that'll work? Painted, they Maybe. might not know that. <laughs> oh, you get away with it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Oh, well. So what's going to have a go every time I wear them now? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'll hold him to that. Uh, <laughs> no, that's good. That was that was really helpful. Fantastic. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how people can find you? Yeah. Look. So um, I've got lots of um, little videos and tips and exercises on Instagram. If you want to sift through um, that, you're What's more your than welcome name? to. It's the the barefoot podiatrist. Okay. Is my Instagram handle. Um, otherwise, the barefootmovement.com.au is my website, and yeah, that's constantly changing. If there's you know any sort of workshops or talks coming up, um, you can find them on there, um, and we're kind of constantly evolving our sort of programs and the ways people can work with it. So that'll be on there as well. So the barefootmovement.com.au. Mm, great. I'm, I'm your 4,400th follower now on Instagram. Oh, lovely. Yeah. It's exploded. Look at it go. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> I know. <laughs> awesome. Paul, thank you so I'll much. I love you. It's a social media help now just to manage that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, huge. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. This was really fantastic and a really good walk through. Uh, and a topic that we haven't covered uh, at all before. Right. So it's going to be really, really helpful for our listeners. Thank you so much. Well, that's yeah. right. If you have any more questions, feel free to yell out. I'm always happy to answer questions and help as many people as I can. So yeah, don't hesitate to, to reach out if you need any more info. No worries. Thank you. That's all right. Thanks Bye. for having me. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. For those of you on your own health journey, you know that a lot of times it's two steps forward, one step back, and you think you're doing well, and then something else pops up. It's like um, always, you're always learning. It's just a, it's not something that just happens overnight and suddenly you're well. If I actually had been so wrong about this really important thing in my life, what else was I wrong about? And it got me down this, uh, this place of questioning all the concepts that I had. And then I came to one question, which was, who am I beyond concept? When I was a little kid, I really always had trouble with food intolerances. I realized that there was a lot to be said for the way you eat. You come to the same place that I came to, and it's a place of complete freedom. Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com.
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.